Well, good morning. You may be seated. I tell you, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's difficult sometimes to sit down there and, and, and listen to a song that I really want to jump up and play on. And <laughs> that's, that, that's one of them. That's one of them. I, 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 trust me, I thought about it. I was like, no, I need to focus today. Uh, but so, so thank you all for, for bringing us this, uh, praise this morning. Uh, it's good to see you all here today. Uh, it's good to be here today. Uh, I would say be in prayer for Pastor Allen. He is not with us today. They're, he and his family are out on vacation, well-deserved vacation. So keep him in your prayers and the family in your prayers. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Brian Johnson. I, I actually teach, uh, along with my stepdad, Pastor Dave Hill, in one of our um, adult Sunday school classes, Bearing Fruit class, which meets in the auditorium or the, the, the old sanctuary. I'm not sure exactly what we call it now, but that's what I'll call it, uh, on, at 745 on first and third Sundays. Uh, I know it's early, but you can, you can make it. You can be here. Check us out. 7.45, we do breakfast. So how about that? This is a little incentive to come and check out, check out the class. And we actually really get started about 8 o'clock. But that's on every first and, and third Sunday. Uh, had some had a lot of my family here in the first service. I've got some of my family here in this service as well. So thank you all for coming. And, and, and let me say this too. Uh, today happens to be my wife's birthday. I can tell you what I just did, she hates. She does not like the attention to be on her, and, uh, but I like to put the attention on her because uh, she's, she's great. She's awesome. Uh, I, I will not say how old she is uh, because I, I value my life. So we're going to just keep that to ourselves. But... But happy birthday to you. Uh, with, with that being said, let's, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the fact that we can know that, that we've got a new name written down in glory. We can know that, that even in those times that we don't see ourselves in, in, in a good light, or we all just, just see the bad things, that, that you see who, we, who you've made us to be and who we can be when we are empowered by you. Lord, I pray that you would be with us uh, this morning as, as I attempt to bring this word. Uh, Lord, I pray that my words would be your words and that the people that are here today to hear this would not leave the way that they came in. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I wanted to talk to you today about, about covetousness versus contentment. Looking at those two things and what they mean and, and, and the, the problems and issues that, that can come into our lives as a result of covetousness and a lack of contentment. And we want to discuss this from a, a pretty familiar portion of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. So let's look at that together. It says, let your conversation be without covetousness. Let me just pause there just for a second to say that, that we know that conversation, right, in, in this sense... Is not me talking to you and then you talking back to me and us kind of talking back and forth with, you, with each other. In the Bible, the word conversation has to do with a lifestyle, right? What is your lifestyle? What can we see in the way that you live your life? Let your conversation, let your lifestyle be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. It's one of the many promises that we have in the Bible. And my first question for you today is, do you believe that promise? I think most of us would say, yes, absolutely. But then I, my follow-up question would be, 
does your conversation show that you believe that promise? Does your lifestyle show that you believe what God's word says in that promise? There we might have to question. I propose that we don't think God is there because of our covetousness and a lack of contentment. This is what we see in that verse that we just read. When we're covetous and we aren't, aren't content, we have a tendency to focus on those things that will have a tendency to bring us to a point to say, God, where are you? God, where have you gone? There are probably many definitions that we could look at, look at to, to see what the, uh, how we could define covetousness. Let me just give you one. It says, a desire for wealth or possessions or another's possessions. Right, so I'm, I'm, I, I, I want to get rich, and I want to get rich quick. So that becomes the focus of my life. And how can I get gain? How can I get money? How can I get this? How can I get that? I see my neighbor has got a new car. And, whew, I love that car. I've got to get that. So my focus becomes getting that new car. I see this person who just got a new house, and their house looks so great, and mine is run down. I've got to get that new house, right? Something that someone else has, I want it. I've got to get it. I've got to get it for me. Covetousness. All of us battle with this in one shape, form, or another. At some time in our life, we all battle with covetousness. We all battle with a lack of contentment. Colossians 3 verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. That's big. But how does God see covetousness? He says it's idolatry. It's idolatry. We're chasing after things, chasing after stuff. Uh, my focus, again, becomes on that car that I, I want to buy, so I'm going to work harder. I'm going to work more to earn more money. I might even get a second job so I can get more money so I can get that car. My focus becomes the issues with my house. i got to do what i got to do to get my house the way that I want it to be. It's not necessarily not livable. It's just not the way I want it. So it becomes my focus to get it the way that I want it instead of my pursuit of God. Instead of my pursuit of a right relationship with him. Instead of focusing on his word and how it fits into my life. That's idolatry. Maybe you've even heard of, uh, and I'll be honest, I'm not sure what it's called, but this board that people may have, so they'll put pictures on it of things that they want, that they're, they're going to manifest it in their lives, right? They're going to make it happen. So they get it up there so they can see it every day. There's the car. It's mine. There's the car. I'm going to get it. I'm, I'm, I'm meditating on it, and it becomes my sole focus in everything I do instead of meditating on God's word like it tells us to do in Joshua 1.8. We mess up our thoughts of what success is, so I'm going to meditate on those things that the world says is success instead of what Joshua 1.8 tells us to do, and that is to meditate on God's word. It's idolatry. We look at people in the Old Testament, or, or at least I have before, I don't know about you, and, uh, that, that are involved in idol worship, and it's always puzzled me, how could you worship something that you made how can you worship something that you created? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some wood and I'm going to cut it and I'm going to form it and I'm going to shape it. And I might 
put it in some metal or dip it in some gold and, and I'm going to set it up on a, on, a, on a counter or somewhere in my house and now that's my God. What? You just made that. You just put in all the work to make that thing and, and now you're going to worship it? It makes no sense. It's silly. I would go as far as to say it's stupid. I'm sorry for, the, for my language. <laughs> but it is. It's stupid. Look at Exodus chapter 32. Verses 3 through 4. It says, And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. He made this calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So this calf that you just made, this calf that you just formed, that's the thing that brought the plagues to Egypt? That's the thing that parted the Red Sea and allowed you to walk across on dry land? That makes no sense. That's silly. Idol worship, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But then that car that I want, and I buy it, and now sitting in my driveway, and I, and I wash it, and I spend all this time washing it. And I wax it because it's got to look good. And I make sure that the tires are looking nice. And I spend hours on that weekly and daily. And I drive around just because. I don't have anywhere to go. But I just need to be seen in my new car. So I'm going to drive around so people can see me. And I'm going to enjoy this car that I bought. And now I'm putting all of my time, and I'm going to say worship, into this thing that I bought. We talk about idol worship in the Old Testament. We look at how ridiculous it is, but we do the same thing. It's idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. So maybe there's an issue with covetousness. There also may be an issue with lack of contentment. And again, all of us struggle from time to time with a lack of contentment. We see what other people have. We, we have these ideas and thoughts of our life and we know what we want for our lives and we know where we want to be. And, and we've thought before, at this age, I want to have this. And at this age, I want to have that. And so I've got to get there and blah, blah, blah. We struggle with a lack of contentment. Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I love the fact that, what the, 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 that Paul wrote in this verse that he had to learn to be content. If you struggle with contentment, let me say you're in good company. Because at some point in time, Paul did too. He said, you know what, I, I had to learn to be content. So as we, like I said, we all struggle with it, but you can learn, you can get there. Here's the issue, and I would say, to, say this to you, we can't learn to be content if we continue to chase after those things that aren't for us. If you're out chasing after this and chasing after that because you're never satisfied, you're never going to allow God to work in your life to get to the point to where you can learn to be content. Stop chasing after those things that God doesn't have for you so that you can learn to be content. Yeah. You know, we're naturally covetous. That's just how we are, right? We, we are born into Satan's family. So we're naturally covetous. If you're talking about, let's, let's, let's say kids, right? If you put a couple of kids in a room and you give them toys to play with, 
uh, inevitably, what's going to happen is the toy that one of the kids wants is the toy that the other kid has. It's, it's, it's inevitable. They can have toys all over the place, but they want that one. It, I've said in our, in our Sunday school class before, there's two words you never have to teach a kid to say. No and mine. Never have to teach a kid to say that. You know, kids get a certain age, you, you're holding them, you're, you're mouthing those words to them real slow and getting them to talk. You, you, there's never been a time anybody in here said, okay, say, mine? Mine. You don't have to do that. It's automatic. They know those words. But then God comes to us and he says, I've got something for you to do. This is what I want you to do. This is my plan for your life. No. We so easily and so quickly can say no to God. Why? Because we're afraid. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Why? Because we feel like we can't. Oh, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. Right, so we've got these issues, we've got these ways of being able to, to, to talk ourselves into why we can't do something, and we so easily tell God no. We see this thing, again, that we want that someone else has because it's mine. I should have it. Why can't that be mine? I'm going to make it mine. We look at kids, and we, and, we, and we look at them, and they say no, and they say mine, and we talk about how, oh, these kids... Don't they realize all the stuff that they could have, all these toys around here? Why are you so worried about that one? We do the same thing. We talk about what we want and what's mine, and we tell God no. And God says, aren't you aware of all these blessings that are surrounding you all the time? Why are you so focused on the things that I don't have for you? No one mine. We are the same way. We get mad at God because he hasn't answered our prayer, and we know that what we typically mean, honestly, when we say God answered my prayer is, oh, he gave me what I wanted. But we get mad at God when he hasn't answered our prayer. I would say he has answered it. You just may not have liked the answer. That's the issue. We need to recognize that sometimes there's a no, and a no is okay. In fact, a no is good when it comes from the Lord. If I'm driving down the street and I go to turn somewhere and there's a barrier there preventing me from going that direction, there's safety in that barrier. There's protection in that barrier. There's direction in that barrier. And when God gives us a no, there's safety in that. There's protection in that. There's direction in that. But our focus is so much on what I want, what I've got to have, what I deserve, what I think is for me, that we forget about the fact that God should be the one in control, steering us and moving us into the direction where he has for us to be. So my next question for you then is, where is your focus? What are you focusing on? Are you focusing on those things that aren't for you? Are you continually focusing on those things that someone else has that you feel like you deserve? Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Are you focusing on those things above? Or are you continually focusing on the things that are here and the things that you see? Maybe you're still in that same job, even though you've been wanting a different job because God's got someone at your job that needs Christ. 
And he's wanting to use you to bring Christ to them. But Lord, you don't understand. I'm struggling in this job because so-and-so, because this person, because of that person, blah, 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 blah. And God's saying, if they had me, they might change. And I want to use you to introduce them to me. We have to have a different focus. I used to ask myself the question, because uh, we have issues with relationships too, right? We see someone in a relationship that, that, that's, that seems to be great, and, and, and maybe we don't have a relationship that we're in right now, and so all we can see is someone else's relationship. And number one, let me say, to this, say this to you, sometimes a relationship you're looking at that seems great may not be. I'll just say that, to be honest. But, but maybe you're single and you're looking for a relationship because you've got to have one, and God's saying, this is not the time. I can tell you that Jen and I have had conversations before where we realized before we got married that we were in the same place at the same time and for whatever reason didn't meet. I used to ask myself, so before we got married, before we met, I was single. I'd been single for six years. So six years single with three kids. And, and I used to ask myself and I would ask God, God, why, why can't I have a relationship right now? Where is she? Where is she? Is, is it because of me or is it because of her? <laughs> I specifically asked that question. And, and I, can, I can tell you, and, and she might say the same thing, uh, God was still working on me. He was still doing some stuff in me that needed to be changed and needed to be fixed. So we didn't meet before because it wasn't good timing in God's time. But when we did meet, it was good, it was right. What's your focus? Focus on things that are above, right? On building the kingdom of God. If I'm focused on my neighbor and not their stuff, then I focus more on their relationship with God and winning them for, for Christ. If I'm focused on my coworker, or my friend and their relationship with God, then I'm not focused on their stuff and why I can't have the stuff that they have. We've got to change our focus. Matthew 6, verse 20. It says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. If I'm focused on things above, then I know that that car that I want so much, it's going to rust. It's going to be nothing. If I'm focused on things above, then I know that that house that looks perfect across the street is going to end up with the same struggles and issues that the one I'm living in right now. Because everything's going to fall apart. But at some point in time, we've got to get to the point to where we are investing in eternity and not on the things in this world. You can focus on keeping up with the Joneses, continually striving for those temporal things, but that won't do much good for you when you're standing before, before God with wood, hay, and stubble. Right, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I don't want to stand before God with wood, hay, and stubble. I want gold and silver and precious stones. But I hope that that's what you want. So let's change our focus to those things that are going to last. All this stuff here is going away anyway. Right? This life is just a vapor. It's here and it's gone. The stuff that you've got is here and it's gone. Let's focus on those things that are here forever. Focus on those things that are going to last for eternity. If you need an idea or a thought of something to focus on, let me give you something. 
How about you focus on God's will for your life? Focus on God's will for your life. Ephesians 5, 17 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. I've said this before, and I'm sure some of you may have said this before as well. Man, if I, if I just knew what God's will was for my life, I'd do it. Man, if I, if I could only know what God's will was, then I'd, I'd, I'd be there and I'd do it. I think most of us have probably said it before. I'll, I'll say this too. Some of you would, some of you wouldn't. Some of us would, some of us wouldn't. Let's, let's be honest. But let me say this. God's will for your life is not some hidden mystery somewhere that I've got to try to locate. Right? The Bible's plain in terms of what his will for your life is. There's a difference between God's will for your life and his plan for your life. So his will is plain and we can all have his will and be in his will. And here's the thing too about his will. His will is the same for all of us. His plan is different. And what he has the ability to do is when you put yourself in line with his will, then he'll use that to direct you towards his plan for your life. If you're in his will. So let's look at God's will for your life so that you can see what it is. Uh, First of all, his will is that everyone gets saved. He wants salvation for everyone. 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His will is that you come to repentance. His will is that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If you are here today, and you don't know what would happen to you if you were to die today, his will is that you get saved today, today. Tomorrow is not promised. We don't know how much time we have. Today, you have right now. Please don't leave here today without knowing that you have a relationship with God and that your name is written down in glory. His will is for your sanctification. First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, the mind of Christ. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. We shouldn't be living in the flesh. We should be sanctified, right? Set apart. We should be different. I, I wouldn't necessarily expect someone that, 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 that is lost, that doesn't know God, to look at you and your conversation, your lifestyle, and say, you must know Jesus. But they should be able to look at you and see a difference between you and the world. They should be able to look at you and say, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but there's, there's something different about you. What, what is it that gives you the ability? To, I, I, know, I know what just happened in your life. What is it that gives you the ability to respond like that? I, I, I couldn't have done that. What, what's going on? And then that gives you the opportunity to give them Jesus. Introduce them to the Lord. His will is for our sanctification. 
His will is for your glorification. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and, the, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. We are predestinated to be conformed to the image of Christ. Good, good uh, reference there is Romans chapter 8, verse 29 as well. We're going to be like Christ. We're going to be glorified. It is his will. His will is for us to serve those in authority with pure motives. Ephesians 6, 5 through 6. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Right? You should be obedient to your boss. I know some of you may not like that, but it's his will. Uh, as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers. Not just so people can see you, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. His will is that we live holy lives. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. So again, sanctified, set apart, holy, set apart, sanctified. It's his will. His will is that we give thanks in everything. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I'll, let me say this about giving thanks. If you're able to give thanks in everything, within the situation, you've got troubles, you've got trials, you've got struggles, but within that, I'm still able to be thankful. I'm still able to give thanks. Then you're focused on the blessing and not the struggle. You're not focused on the problems. You're focused on the blessing that God has put around you because you're still able to give thanks. And that's just because you're living according to his will. And then his will is for you to submit to the ordinances of man. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Obey the law. It's his will. So his will is laid out in the Bible. These aren't some secret nuggets, right? They're right there for us to see. So live your life according to his will. Focus on that. And God will put you where he wants you to go. If you focus on his will, he'll steer you in the direction of his plan. I promise you. We've got to be careful that we're not so focused on the things that we don't have, that we get ourselves to a point to where we're looking up and we're saying, God, where are you? God, why have you left me? We can get ourselves to that point if we're not careful. You know, my kids, so I, I said before, I've got, I've got three kids. Uh, we have five together. 
Um, but, but, but these are my three. And uh, I chose this picture because uh, what I'm getting ready to tell you is, is mostly focused around Aaron. And uh, my, my, my kids did not know I was going to talk about them, uh, but they found out today. So um, my, to give you a little bit of context in terms of age, this picture of Taylor there is, is five years old. This, actually, this is actually her first day of kindergarten when I took this picture. Um, uh, Charles is in the middle, so he would be, he would be nine, and, and Aaron would be seven in this picture. Um, when he, so I, I chose this picture because he was close to this age when this incident happened. He actually was six. But let me give you some background. In, in, I want to tell you this story. I start with Charles. So when Charles was four years old, he was a very, very articulate kid. Um, he, he talked clearly in full sentences and had conversations with people really, really early. So when he was four years old, he started to, to, to complain a lot about the rules of the house. And he started saying, I don't want to live here anymore. I don't like your rules. And all this, this little four-year-old boy talking like this, if you can imagine. So we had gone, we had gone out doing something as a family, and, and we were coming back home. It was a, kind of a cold January day. And we got back in the house, and Charles was taking his shoes off and put them in the cubby as he was complaining about the rules and the fact that he didn't want to live with us anymore. And I, I, I just said, I said, Charles, Put your shoes back on. He said, he said, why, why? I said, don't worry about it. Just put your shoes back on. See, he put his shoes on. And when he put his shoes on, I said, get out. And he said, he said, he said, he said, he said what, wait, what, what are you doing? No, no, you don't want to live with us anymore? Get out. And so I had to, and I, I did. I, I kind of pushed him because he wasn't moving. So I kind of pushed him. I pushed him out of the door and I shut the door. And that door wasn't shut for two seconds, I promise you. And he was ah, knocking on the door and, and, and banging on the door. I let him sit out there for a little bit. Not too long, it was January. But I let him sit out there for a little bit. Finally, I came to the door and I opened the door and, and he tried to come back in. And I stopped him. I said, wait a minute, no, you said you don't want to live here. I said, uh, uh, are you changing your mind? I said, it's cold out there, isn't it? He said, yeah. I said, but, but, but you want to live with us now? Yes. Okay. Let him back in. Never had that problem after that. Did not have that problem after that. Fast forward a few years. We've moved to a different house, and, uh, and the boys shared a room downstairs in the basement. And the way this house was, there was a door uh, that let out to the front of the house, and you could, they could see the door from their bedroom downstairs. Same kind of a thing. We had gone out as a family. We're coming back home. Uh, but around this time, Aaron started having these same complaints. And I'm thinking, what's going on? These kids are, are talking like this. But he's six years old at this time. And so he comes in. Charles had already come in. He's in his room. And Aaron was in. He was taking his shoes off by the door. And he's complaining. And I said, Aaron, put your shoes back on. And then I hear from back here, Charles said, No, Aaron, don't do it! Don't do it! <laughs> I tell you what, I, 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 had, I had a tough time holding the dad face on that day. I wanted to crack up. But, but Aaron, Aaron put his shoes back on, and I, sa- I said, Get out. And here's the thing. You know your kids, right? Your kids are different. I could have told you before I closed the door on Charles that he wouldn't last two seconds. Uh, Aaron, on the other hand, who knows? So, so, so I told him to get out. 
He, he didn't question. He didn't say anything. He just walked out the door. I shut the door. But then I quickly ran upstairs and looked out the window to see him. And I see Aaron <laughs> walking down the driveway. And he kept walking, so I hurried up and ran outside, and I followed him. He didn't know I, I was there, but I followed him down the end of the driveway, down the end of the block, around the corner, a little bit down the street. And eventually, he turned around, so I started to work my way backwards back to the house, still keeping an eye on him the whole time. But he, he eventually got back to the house. And I ran back into the, into the house before he could see me. And he stood in the driveway. And I opened the door. I said, are you ready to come home? He was like, yeah. I said, okay, come on home. Never had that problem after that. I asked him, so he was about six years old then. He's 20 now. I asked him probably about a year ago-ish ago. I said, uh, I said, Aaron, what were you planning to do? Uh, and and he, said, he said, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just, I just knew that I, I was out. Um, so I, I, I was going to just sleep outside and wake up the next morning and figure out what I was going to do. Uh, so I, that's interesting. Here's the thing. Aaron was so focused on his lack I just got put out of my house. The, I, I don't have this. I don't have that. What am I going to do? That was his sole focus. and It was the only thing that he could see. And he was so focused on what he didn't have that he didn't realize that his father was with him the entire time. Amen. I never left him. Never. I never took my eye off of him. I was always there. What are you involved in to the point to where you feel like God is left? He's not left. Maybe your issue, Christian, is that you might be so involved in sin that's just wrapped you up for whatever reason. And you've gotten so far away from God that, that, that you think God has left you. I promise you, he has not. Get up. Repent. Move forward in his will and trust God for your life and for direction. Stop being focused on the wrong things. Focus on those things that are above. Maybe you might be here and, and you've been praying to God for a good thing that you want to do in your, in your life. I've been there too. I've got this idea, Lord. And it's great and it's good and it's for you and it's for your kingdom. Why won't you let me have it? God's got the big picture, right? He knows what he's doing and he knows what he wants to do through you. Even though that thing you want to do is good, it still may not be what God has for you. Trust what God has for you and allow him to work through you. I promise you his idea, his plan, his thought for you is much better than yours. And it always will be. I know I said this before, but I'll say it again. Trust God in the no. Even though we don't like it, trust him with the no. Because he'll direct you there.
He'll protect you there. He'll steer you in the direction of His plan for your life. Psalm 23. We're very familiar, I think, with the 23rd Psalm. But in particular, verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy thy staff, they comfort me. We've all found ourselves in a valley sometimes. We might be in a mountaintop in some times in our lives, and it's great to be on that mountaintop, and everything's great and everything's going perfect, but sometimes we're going to be in the valley. We may look, and we look up, and we say, God, where are you? But God is there. He's always there. I promise you that he's there. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you are. He's there. He's there. He loves you. He has not forgotten you. He has not left you. He's there. He always will be. I know that because his word says so. Don't focus so much on the problem. Focus on the promise. Let me say this to you. If you don't have the Lord as your Savior, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, I'll be honest with you. This this promise does not apply to you. But I want it to. I pray that you would come today and make Jesus Christ the Savior and the Lord of your life. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As I said before, you might be in a position today where you're hearing these things and you're struggling with things in your life, but you don't have a personal relationship with God. Let me say this to you again. Don't leave today without knowing that you have that relationship with God in line, that you are saved. God loved you so much. He loved me so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, God in the flesh. We needed a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin, and he did that for us. He died on a cross, shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sin that we could not pay. He was buried, and he rose on the third day, thus conquering sin and death so that we can do the same. If you trust in that, if you believe in that, then you can have a relationship with him and it opens up so many things for your life. All the promises in his word, including this one, I want that for you today if you don't know Christ as your savior. Don't let fear prevent you from coming to know him today. Don't let the unknown prevent you from coming to know him today. Come to know him today. If you need prayer, we have altar workers here in the front as well. Come down for prayer. If you want to join this church, you can do that as well. Whatever it is, if you need to meet with the Lord today, don't let the day go by without meeting with him as the praise team sings.